0: The following message is a presentation from Grace Baptist Church in Kettering, Ohio. Psalm 27, Psalm 27, you should be there, and if not, find it in an app, and uh, let's uh, be there together and get your eyes on that, we'll read in a second. If, uh, if you received on the way in your worship guide, you should have uh, received also the message guide inside of there. If you're a guest with us today, there's a connection card. If you'll take a moment at some point before the end of the service and fill that out, there's three of these boxes at all the, uh, the exits here. If you'd just drop that in uh, in there, let us know how that you found Grace Baptist Church. We also have a gift for you out here in the lobby we'd like to send you home with and just say thank you for being here at church on this uh, post-Thanksgiving Sunday. And uh, I, I had a great time with our family. I hope that you had a good time with your family or whoever you celebrated Thanksgiving with. But the main thing is, it's not just about a day. Uh, it really is about a lifestyle that we are to lead of thanksgiving back to the Lord, a lifestyle of praise. and. My heart for today is that we'd really just continue on in that and that we'd not lose sight of that and that we'd just part for a little bit and enjoy the Lord and enjoy what he's doing in our lives. So Psalm 27, and I want you to uh, read along with me, so let's stand for a, a minute here as we read. Psalm 27, another psalm of David, it's said there in the title. And uh, this is a psalm that will will um, begin to break down and help us to understand when David wrote it. But for right now, let's read verse number one, Psalm 27. The Bible says, "The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear?" Now, notice there the Lord in your Bible. My Bible is all capital letters, and that means it's Jehovah, the Great I Am. And so, the Lord is my light. He is what illuminates. He is my salvation. He is who delivers. Who in the world should I fear? The answer is no one, no one. The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked, even mine enemies and my foes, came up upon me to eat my flesh, they stumbled and fell. Though an host should encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war should rise against me, in this will I be confident. In what, David, would you be confident? In in what would give you confidence when the world is falling apart, when there's rumors of wars, when there's enemies rising against you, when you're overwhelmed? And he says in verse number 4, One thing have I desired of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. To behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple for in the time of trouble He shall hide me in his pavilion in the secret of his tabernacle shall he hide me He shall set me upon a rock and now shall my head be lifted up above mine enemies round about me Therefore will I offer in his tabernacle? Sacrifices of what? Joy. I will sing. yea, I will sing praises unto the Lord Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice. Have mercy also upon me and answer me. When thou saidest, seek thee my face, my heart said unto thee, thy face, Lord, will I seek. you can just sense that David was uh, all in on that. Uh, Lord, you told me to do it. Yes, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it to the best of my ability. Verse number nine, hide not thy face far from me. Put not thy servant away in anger. Thou hast been my help, leave me not, neither forsake me, O God of my salvation. When my father and my mother forsake me, then the Lord will take me up. By the way, I'm not going to preach on that verse, but just understand that even if your family forsakes you, and perhaps you've had a little bit of a rough week with family, perhaps, I mean that's not beyond uh, possibility, Uh, just remember this, that even when your family turns against you, the Lord is there. Uh, Just remember that. And he is the friend that sticketh closer than a brother. Verse number 11, teach me thy way, O Lord, and lead me in a plain path because of mine enemies. Deliver me not over under the will of mine enemies, for false witnesses are risen up against me, and such as breathe out cruelty. I had fainted. Unless I had believed to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen thine heart. Wait, I say on the Lord. Father, thank you for this opportunity to open up your word. Help us to be people who pause and look to you. And Lord, that we would find our relationship with you to be a shelter in the time of storm. A a protection from the the enemy and a a protection from those that would say slanderous things and a protection from uh, all the chaos that's going on in our world around us. Help us to find security and yes, Lord, enjoyment in our relationship with you. And I pray that you would take this time that we've, we have given to you um, by choice. Lord, you've asked us to be here. But Lord, we've, we're here by choice. And I pray that you would take this time and that you would use it to make us more like the Lord Jesus Christ. And that you'd also use it to deepen our relationship with you. Pray for those here that don't yet know you as Savior. I pray that they would come and receive you today. And that they would understand the amazing gift of eternal life that you're offering to them free if they'll only believe. And I pray for our children as they hear your word. I pray that you would encourage their hearts and strengthen them. Lord, take control of this time, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. And you may be seated. Thanksgiving's kind of known for food, right? Uh, the feast. Uh, and no doubt you. Prepared something? How many of you uh, kind of diverge from the traditional? You say we don't do any turkey uh, in our in our Thanksgiving celebration. Okay, there's a couple of you. Just turkey isn't for you. Uh, what do you do? Ham, ham, uh, tacos. All right, there you go. Tacos for Thanksgiving. That's a new one. Uh, but but nonetheless, food is involved in Thanksgiving, and I can imagine even right now as you think back to your Thanksgiving feast. Uh, whatever you prepared, whether it was tacos or, uh, or your, uh, your, your turkey, uh, we had some smoked turkey, we had some grilled turkey, it was good, it was really good, uh, injected with some, uh, with some apple juice and it was just, man, it was really good. Uh, but you, you think back to what you had and boy, some savory thoughts come to mind, don't you? When you think about what you ate. Boy, that was good. And oftentimes at Thanksgiving, we really enjoy the food that's laid out. There's a lot of work that goes into, uh, into making that food, preparing it, and enjoying that food. And when you enjoy food, you savor it, don't you? You savor it, you think about it, and even now it brings back pleasant memories as you think about it, and I'm already counting down the days till next Thanksgiving or till Christmas when we have another another feast, something that we really enjoy. When you enjoy food, you savor it, you'll even sometimes talk about the food that you you made. Boy, this was really delicious, this was amazing. Enjoying something means that we praise it, we, we enjoy it, we savor it. Uh, It brings pleasantness to our minds. Last week, as we concluded the message on giving thanks, unending thanks to God, I asked you a question. Are you enjoying your relationship with God? Are you enjoying your relationship with God? And uh, frankly, I haven't been able to get away from that question all week. Are you enjoying your relationship with God? I want us to consider... During our time this morning, this question, I'm asking the Lord for, for his, uh, his help. I got a bit of a stiff neck this morning, and, uh, and, and it, it came from playing with my two littles. And uh, you know what? That's just the way things go. But uh, I'm asking the Lord for um, the, the ability to communicate a burden that's on my heart for you, for us, really that started a burden for me. Because I'm telling you what, it doesn't matter whether it's 2020 or two, you know, 2015. There's always been burdens, right? There's always been distractions. There's always been something that would keep us from enjoying our relationship with God. Now, difficult years and difficult seasons bring out some of that. But the fact is, uh, Satan has always wanted to rob you and me as believers, as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, of the ability to simply enjoy God. I don't know how that that thought strikes you. If it strikes you as somewhat weird, I'd encourage you right in your heart now to just pause and say, God, would you open up my eyes to what you really have for me and what you want my relationship with you to be? Uh, Ask God to help you go deeper, further with him. Uh, Don't don't just be content with a, a, a surface Christianity. Uh, We want something that's deep. We want something that's meaningful. And the Lord knows as we go further into these days how much we need our Christianity to have deep roots. Wouldn't you agree? Are you enjoying God? Some people might ask you this question, uh, hey, are you enjoying life? And frankly, sometimes you, you you uh, you might say very truthfully, no, I'm not. But a greater question is really, are you enjoying God? Because when we enjoy God, we can enjoy life. And by the way, enjoying life is not a, a, a requirement for Christianity. God never promised that we would be able to just enjoy all of life. But if we enjoy Him, we can enjoy Everything he allows and brings into our into our lives as being from his loving hand. Two times a day, the the strok the, the the clock strikes. A digital clock, a a, a, a analog clock will say 8:28. I don't know where I got this from, but uh, I at those moments it seems. Two times. Uh, last night and today, I, I woke up a Saul 828, and my mind immediately goes to Romans 8:28. I don't know why and, and how that all got started, but my, my mind begins to associate times of the day with certain passages of Scripture. And the fact is, God is always good, no matter what He allows us to go through, and we can always enjoy our God for His goodness. Always, are you enjoying God? Are you enjoying your relationship with God? Do you need anything else in your life on Cyber Monday in order to make you enjoy life? Or is enjoying God enough is enjoying God enough, even if your relationships don't go the way that you want them to go, is enjoying God enough, even if you don't get that, that spot at work that you want to have, is enjoying God enough, even if you don't get that financial raise, is enjoying God enough, even if you don't get that house that you would like, is enjoying God enough if those around you and your family, your children, don't make the decisions that you would like them to make, is enjoying God enough to, um, for you? And I don't ask that as a a question like, I got this all figured up. I am asking that question for us collectively, myself included, as a pastor and as us as believers, is enjoying God enough? What does your heart long for? What does your spirit crave? When I talk about your spirit, I'm talking about your inner man. What is in your heart? What do you long for? Where does your mind go when it's at rest? When there's nothing else in your, in your world stimulating your mind. There's, the TV is off, the radio is off, the, the noise is down, the kids are in bed. Where does your mind go? Where does your mind go in its idle hours? Are you enjoying God? A lot of what uh, our mind is consumed with is really uh, either what we enjoy or what we worry or what we have allowed to dominate our mind. Is enjoying God enough? Does your mind go to God? Is that a safe space? Is that a place of hope? Is that a place of peace? Enjoy is to take pleasure in a person or an activity? There's many things that you and I can say we enjoy doing. We enjoy eating, but do we take pleasure in our relationship with God? David knew what it was to go through some uncomfortable seasons of life. Uh, sometimes we read through uh, David's life and we think, boy, this just happened back to back to back. He, uh, he killed uh, Goliath and God used him in an amazing way there. Yeah, sure, he had to run from Saul for a little bit, but uh, then he was king, so what's the big diff? No, do you realize the, the reality is that David uh, was anointed king 20 years prior to when he actually sat on the throne? And between that time, yes, he, uh, he, he killed Goliath. Yes, there was, there, was this, there was this opportunity for him to really see God work. Uh, he had some difficult times through his life, but in between uh, the time that God said, I am going to place you on the throne of Israel as a replacement to Saul who has violated my word and has disobeyed me, there was 20 years that passed in between those times. He, uh, he drew the jealousy of Saul through killing Goliath, and now he is on the run. Imagine you being in the court of the king and having a javelin thrown at you. Imagine taking the king's daughter to wife as a, as a reward for killing this, this enemy of, uh, of, of Israel, Goliath, and only to have to run and to leave her, and then, and then she's given to another man. I mean, countless rejection and, 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 and uh, disturbing things that happened to David. He ran and ran and ran for his life from this man Saul. During that time, we, we read of his, his interaction there, or his, the event at Ziklag, where he comes back and the Amalekites had taken all of his family and had burned their homes. He didn't know if they lived, and even his own men began to turn on him. David was a man who knew distress. And though we could not pinpoint, particularly where Psalm 27 is written, I do know that in this period of time, this 20 years of waiting and really desperate times as he awaited the promise of God, at some point along the way, David wrote Psalm 27. David wrote about the enemies that were rising up against him, about the false witnesses that had risen up against him, and yet David still found that in his relationship with God and his communication with God, it was there that he could find peace, it was there that he could find his true source of joy. It wasn't in his life being all, all buttoned up and all the trials of his life being excused from his life. It wasn't in all, all the people saying nice things about him. It was in this time of his life where he did have enemies and they were rising up against him and there was a host that was encamped against him and there was a king who wanted his death. It was then that David said, hey, listen, I'm going to still praise God, and I'm going to offer unto him a thanksgiving, and I'm going to offer unto him the sacrifice of joy and of praise. In these 20 years, perhaps you've been through some difficult seasons of life that have lasted. Maybe even you're in a difficult season of life. There's a problem in your life that has lasted 20 years. Even in those problems, we can learn from the scriptures that we can still find joy in our relationship with God. And that's not just high spiritual talk. That is what God wants for each one of us. That is what God wants in our lives. He wants us to be able to enjoy God. And so as we focus our attention this morning in this psalm, I read the whole thing so you get the context, but I wanted you to especially focus on verses 4 and 5. Look at them with me. One thing have I desired of the Lord. Wait a minute, David. You're on the run. How about this one thing that you desire from the Lord when all of life settles down? When life is good, when the family matters are smooth, when the paycheck is coming in, one thing I desire of the Lord. No, he says, in the middle of all this chaos, one thing have I desired of the Lord. Now, in the middle of all this chaos, we need to be giving unending thanks like we learned last week. But in the middle of all this chaos as well, how much more do we need to seek the Lord and find joy in that relationship with him? One thing have I desired of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord. What we're going to see this morning is how that David found enjoyment. He found enjoyment in his relationship with God. You see there in verse number six. How that he would offer the sacrifices of joy to the Lord. Do you realize that your joy, when everything else around you says, "Hey, don't be happy," "Hey, be a grump," "Hey, uh, be sour or be depressed," when everything around you says that, but yet you come to God and say, "You're my joy." How much of a sacrifice that is to our God, and how pleasant that is in His eyes. How we need that. One thing have I desired, of the Lord. Let's see how David truly enjoyed his relationship with God. Notice his consuming desire. His consuming desire in verse number four, one thing have I desired of the Lord, and that will I seek after. One thing, not many things. One thing, not many things. Now in all of our lives, we have many things to accomplish, but there ought to be one goal of our lives, and it ought to be the Lord Jesus Christ. Everything ought to Center around him in our lives and David had that same desire in his life One thing have I desired the Lord if I could ask one prayer request of God This is what I'm gonna ask if you could ask today one prayer request of God. What would it be that you would ask? What would be that prayer that you would offer up to God and say this is the one thing that I need? This is the one thing that I'm going to continue to seek after the Bible helps us to understand that Satan's ploy is to distract us distraction is a thing that prevents someone from giving full attention to any uh, something or someone Do you have distractions in your life we all have distractions in our life don't we let's be real there are many they seem to grow and uh, the amazing thing about distractions is, as human beings, it takes us about 20 minutes to get back focused again once we're distracted. Satan keeps us distracted. Satan's plan for Christians is distraction. Satan's plan for David was, oh, if I could just keep him distracted. But no, David in the midst of all this chaos was saying, one thing have I desired of the Lord. This one thing I want, it was a consuming desire of him. I want you to imagine with me someone brilliantly wrote this piece uh, entitled Satan's Meeting. And I know that sounds really kind of creepy, and it is to think anything of Satan. I, I hate Satan. Uh, someone was asking me uh, a while back, uh, I, I have gotten in the, in the practice of not capitalizing Satan's name. Because I hate him. Uh, he's a destroyer. And uh, I cannot wait till he is in the bottomless pit, and he is in hell forever, and that's not a bad thing to say. Uh, he has destroyed what God has, what God has created as good. And just imagine with me Satan meeting together. Satan called a worldwide convention of his demons, and in his opening address... He says we cannot keep Christians from going to church we cannot keep them from reading their Bibles and knowing the truth the important thing is that we must do to keep them uh, is this to keep them from forming an intimate relationship with their Savior once they gain that connection with Jesus our power over them is broken so let them go to their churches, let them have their covered dish on dinner, covered dish dinner, so that's, uh, that's uh, uh, potlucks, right? You know, let them have their carry-ins, whatever you call them, but steal their time so that they do not have time to develop a relationship with Jesus Christ. This is what I want you to do, said the devil. Distract them so that they will not have time to build, uh, build and maintain a relationship with Christ throughout their day. The demons asked, how shall we do this? Satan said, keep them busy in the non-essentials of life and invent innumerable schemes to occupy their minds. He answered, tempt them to spend. Spend and spend some more, and then borrow and borrow and borrow some more. Persuade their wives to go to work for long hours and the husbands to work six to seven days each week, 10 to 12 hours a day, so they can afford their empty lifestyles. Keep them from spending their time with their children. As a family falls apart, their homes will offer no escape from the pressures of work. Overstimulate their minds so that they they will uh, not hear the still small voice of God speaking to them. Entice them to have noise around them always so they cannot hear Christ speaking to them. Fill, Fill the coffee tables with magazines and newspapers. Hammer their minds with news 24 hours a day. Flood their mailboxes with mail order catalogs, sweepstakes, and every kind of newsletter and promotion offering free products, services, and false hopes. Keep skinny, beautiful models in the magazines and on on TV so that their husbands will believe the outward beauty is what is uh, most important and they will become dissatisfied with their wives. Keep uh, athletically built men on TV and in magazines so that the wives will uh, will not look on the character of their husbands as most important becomes dissatisfied with them. Keep husbands and wives going so much that they're too tired to to love each other at night. If they uh, do not receive love that they need, they will begin to look elsewhere. This will fragment their families quickly. Give them Santa Claus to distract them from teaching their children the real meaning of Christmas. Give them the Easter Bunny so they'll not talk about Christ's resurrection and the power over sin and death. Even in their recreation, let them be excessive. Keep them too busy to go out in nature and reflect on God's creation. Encourage them to go to amusement parks, sporting events, concerts, and movies. Instead, keep them busy, busy, busy. When they meet for spiritual fellowship, leave them with troubled consciences. Crowd their lives with so many good causes that they have no time to seek power from Jesus. Soon, they will be working on their own strength, sacrificing their health and their family for, a good, for the good of a cause. It will work, it will work. It's quite a plan. The demons went out eagerly uh, onto their assignments trying to involve Christians in non-essentials of, of life so that they would have little or no time for God, for their families and much less to tell others about the power of Jesus Christ to change lives. And the question is, has Satan been effective? Do you realize we're in a spiritual war? Right now, this year, oh, how it seems that the spiritual warfare has increased. And do you know what Satan is really wanting to distract Christians with? Well, we have involvement that needs to take place. We can be so distracted with all the chaos that's going on in our society around us that we forget our relationship with God. And all of that robs us from enjoying God on a, daily, on a daily basis. And my prayer, and the reason I bring this to you today is, frankly, frankly, it's a struggle. But we need to be aware of Satan's devices. We need to be wise to them. We, we need not be afraid of them. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. God can help us to work through this, but we must have a consuming desire, like David. One thing, Spurgeon said it this way divided aims tend to distraction, weakness, and disappointment. Divided aims. What's your aim today? What's your focus today? What's your desire today? What are you asking God intently for? What is the one thing that you're coming on God with and saying, this is what I need? And David came to God and he submitted this request to God. This is what I need from you, Lord. And the idea of how David words this is that this was something that he had said to God and he was living in the light of what he had said to God. In other words, he says, this one thing I'm praying to you, Lord, and I'm going to spend the rest of my life seeking after what I've asked you for. It's a really important thing. David did not just go to God and say, well, I prayed, and so now I'm going to move on with my life. God didn't answer it in the way that I thought, or it hasn't come in the time I thought. No, he prayed it, and he continued to live out his life seeking after what he was expecting from God. This was his desire. This was his pursuit. This was what he was uh, going after Psalm 42 and verse number one, as the heart, as the deer panteth after the water brooks, so my soul panteth after thee, O God. And that was the overwhelming tone of David's life. God, I want you. And Spurgeon also said it this way: desires are seeds which must be sown in the good soil of activity, for they will yield no harvest. If it is just a simple prayer, well, this is my desire, Lord, and then we move on. No, God says, continue to seek it, and that's what David did. Seek after me, seek this thing, expect it from God, continue forward in faith. And so David had one desire. We're going to get to that desire. He had one desire, that's what I want you to get a hold of. He was not distracted. Even in the middle of all that chaos, he was not distracted. He had one desire, one consuming desire. Jesus said one thing is needful when he was talking to Martha. Well, she was serving the Lord. She was doing all sorts of things. She was creating the food, the food. He says one thing is needful, Martha, and Mary has chosen it. Paul said this one thing I do and I ask you this morning and I ask myself as well what is that one thing in our lives that we have allowed it to captivate all of our desire this is what I want this is what I need from God and likely that one thing is what we most enjoy but our enjoyment needs to be in God David Let us know what his one thing was. I want you to look in verse number four on four. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Notice a craved presence. A craved presence. This is my craving. This is what I want. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Now, this is written in the Old Testament. So we need to break this apart a little bit so we understand what, what David's getting after here. The house of the Lord was a tabernacle at this point. The, the Solomon's temple was not yet built. So we have this tabernacle. It was a tent that God's people, it was a mobile tent that God's people moved about and they, they would come there for sacrifices like we talked about the five sacrifices last week. They would come there to worship the Lord in that place. It wasn't that they could not pray in other places. It was here that the Lord presenced himself among his people. Specifically, in this part of the tabernacle, the back part of the tabernacle, if you see in the the cutaway, you have the front part of the tabernacle, which was the holy place. Uh, Service and and ministry before the Lord was done there. Sacrifices were done out in this outer court, but in there, there was ministry and service that happened, But there was a part of the tabernacle called the holiest of holies. That the priest was only allowed one time a year to go in there and offer the blood from sacrifices to God on the day of atonement. One time a year. They were so nervous about going into the holy of holies because that is where God presenced himself and if a priest were to have gone in there as an unclean man, as a, a man with sin, a man not right with God, a God would have smote him dead in his holy presence. The holiness of God is nothing to, uh, to laugh at, nothing to take uh, for granted. The holiness of God is something very, very serious, and we have lost our fear of God in this day. But he is still the same holy God. They were so concerned about uh, going in there that they would put bells around the, the, the hem of the garment of the priest and put a rope about his foot so that if he went in there and they stopped hearing his bells jingle, they could pull him out. You say, that is really weird. No, legitimately, that is how they understood the holiness of God and realizing that men could come before God with sin in their lives God said, do not appear before me that way. All this looking forward to what God would eventually make make possible uh, in an unhindered way through Jesus Christ. But the tabernacle, this was a place in which the presence of the Lord dwelt among men. The Shekinah glory of God dwelt there. And specifically it dwelt on this ark, the ark of the covenant. And the Bible tells us, in 2 Samuel 6 and verse number 2, And David arose and went with all the people that were with him uh, from Baal of Judah to bring up from, up from thence the ark of God. This, this pictured, uh, this rendering that we have there on the screen, this ark of God, whose name is called by the name of the Lord of hosts that dwelleth between the cherubims. They're uh, there pictured on the ark. God's presence... Dwelled among men there in the tabernacle between the cherubims. David understood that. That was understood from the book of Exodus. And it was there in that place that David said, I want to be in that house. I want to be in the tabernacle in the presence of God. This wasn't about being inside of a building. This was about being in the presence of God. And so when you read through the Old Testament and you begin to see the house of the Lord, understand that a lot of times that is referring to the presence of God dwelling among men. There at the, uh, in the, uh, the tabernacle, this Ark of the Covenant, it was the holiest object of Israelite worship. Because it symbolized the presence of God. Inside of it, it contained the Ten Commandments, the instruction of God's word, the instruction in righteousness. It also contained Aaron's budding rod, which um, symbolized the practical life leading of God in our daily, in our daily lives. And the, the power of God on, on uh, Aaron and Moses as leaders among God's people. But it symbolized the presence of God. One of the first duties that David took on when he became king was to go and get the ark and bring it back to the house of God. And you know, later on in his life, he had such a raging burden to give God a permanent dwelling place among men and building the temple. God said, I'm not gonna allow you to do this, but your son will do this. And David um, prepared in such a grand way and set his son Solomon up for success to build the, the, um, the temple where God would continue to dwell among men. What David is declaring to us is that he wanted to remain day by day, moment by moment, in the presence of God. We cannot miss that when reading through this verse. And friends... The reason David was undisturbed by the chaos around him is because he, he had esteemed the presence of God in his life and the desire for the presence of God greater than everything else around him. It trumped everything in his life. It was the presence of God that he desired. Later on, Psalm 43 and verse number three, "Oh send out thy light and thy truth. Uh, give me your direction, let them lead me. Let them bring me to thy holy hill and to thy tabernacles. Then will I go unto the altar of God, unto my God, my exceeding joy. Well, you desire to be in the presence of God? It says here that I may dwell, that I may dwell. I want to live there. I want to inhabit it. I want to take up residence. I want to set up home there in the presence of God. And how do you think if David would dwell every day in the presence of God, how do you think that would affect his days? How do you think that would affect his perspective on the world events around him? I think he would have peace. I think he would have joy. I think he would have assurance in his heart. I am his, and he is mine. I think he would have love, even towards his enemies. I believe that there would be truth that he would have in his heart, but also he'd want to share with others. He would have an understanding of the holiness of God and would live his life in respect of that. He would understand that victory is possible with God. He would have confidence in his heart. In reality, we would have not a care in the world as long as he dwelt in the presence of God. And the question we have today is, can what David desired as a consuming desire, can that be our reality? Can you and I dwell every day in the presence of God? Can we take up residence there? Friends, until we get a hold of that, until we grab a hold of that, that this thought, everything around us is going to disturb us. We're going to be up and down in, in our lives until we get a, a, a glimpse of the fact that God wants us to dwell in His presence. And this needs to become our raging desire. Ephesians 2 and verse number 13. But now, in Christ Jesus, ye who were sometimes afar off were made nigh by the blood of Christ. Through what he did at the cross, you and I were able to be made nigh unto him, brought close unto him. Verse 14, for he is our peace. Who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us. Do you know what Jesus did at the cross? The wall or the veil in between the holy place and the holiest of holies, which was where God dwelt among men. That veil, that very thick, Uh, boundary that men were not to cross and to go into except one time a year the high priest was allowed to go in there only with severe preparations through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ through what he did at the cross the Bible says that when he died when he gave up the ghost the veil in the temple rent from top to bottom Do you know what that signified do you know what God did through us, um, for us through Jesus Christ? He made a, a, an open invitation for you and I to walk into his presence on the merit of the Lord Jesus Christ and to dwell there. We don't have to be a high priest. But based on our positional uh, righteousness before God, our justification, I can go and I can bask day by day in the presence of God. And so Jesus told us by the Spirit of God, 1 Corinthians 3 and verse number 16, that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. I'm telling you what, why in the world do we get gloomy? Why in the world do we, do we struggle through our lives like we're powerless? Literally, we have the, the privilege in this New Testament church age to live in the presence of God in a a greater way, I have a feeling David will walk up to New Testament Christians and say, how was it to live your life where you had the ability to live in what I craved for? It's amazing to me. This was his desire, and yet, sometimes when something is given to us so freely and so graciously and with such mercy... We take it for granted. Let's just ask ourselves this question. Have we we spent any time in the presence of God this week? I mean, where we are conscious of his presence. And if not, why are we robbing ourselves of such an amazing blessing and amazing opportunity? Why are we walking through our lives living like this? Why are we living below what we have been given? This was his desire. This is what David wanted to do. He desired it with all of his heart. It was through the Lord Jesus Christ that he gave us access. The Bible says in Ephesians 2 and verse 18, for through him, Jesus, we have access by one Spirit unto the Father being temples of the Holy Spirit, uh, being temples of the Holy Spirit, the place where God dwells in the indwelling Spirit of God within us. I, I, I can just go right in. There's a song out there if you are not familiar with it, I Can Go In. It talks about just that idea. I can go in. I have that privilege. It's not about what family I'm from or how much money I make or what church I belong to in the sense of just fulfilling a religious obligation. It is through the Lord Jesus Christ that I can go in. This is what David craved Do you. Do you crave the presence of God? Do you miss it when you're not in the presence of God? Do you realize Samson, when he lost his strength, didn't even realize it? He He did not miss the hand of God upon his life. He did not miss that God had removed his power from his life. I think sometimes, as believers, sometimes we we whistle through our lives and we don't even realize we're not living in the presence and the power of God. God help us. God help us. We need God's mercy. Look at um, verse number four again. I want you to notice what did David want to do in the presence of God? Why did he want to be there? To check it off a list? To say, well, I've been to the presence of God this week? No. I want you to notice that he wanted to concentrate on admiring God. He wanted the opportunity to sit and bask in the presence of God and enjoy it. A couple weeks back, we were on our way home. I think it was a Friday night. And uh, the sunsets. Are not the sunsets have have they not just been beautiful recent I don't know what's causing that but they seem especially beautiful and uh, Eastwood Metro Park has a lake and so we grabbed some um, fast food uh, great healthy stuff and we went and sat down because it was right at sunset time like you could see it It it's just gonna it was gonna be a, a good one and so we went and sat and watched the the sun go down over a city lake it's not the same as a country lake not the city is the uh, same as a, you know, a lake out in the middle of nowhere, but it's all we got, and so we're thankful for it. And so we, we went out there, and you know, I'm telling you what, the sunset came down. And for, what, 30 minutes, just out there as a family, enjoying, enjoying the, uh, the cholesterol-filled, um, uh, you know, artery-clogging fast food, and watching God paint a sunset. Enjoying. Enjoying God. Right? Just taking time. St- stop. Look at what God's doing. That might be in our, in our lives where we stop. Look what God's doing in my life. I'm not where I want to be, but look at what God's done just now. Praise His name. And David wanted to get into the presence of God where he could look at it, verse number four, to behold the beauty of the Lord. I, I, I really feel, and I'm, I'm, I'm guilty, along with many others, of reading over That phrase, the beauty of the Lord. Have you stopped and considered how beautiful God is? David wanted to get there and be able to to perceive it. He wanted to be able to direct his gaze, not just a glance, a gaze at the beauty of the Lord. This is what God desires of worshipers on heaven, in heaven and in earth those that would be consumed with admiring the the beauty of the Lord, his beauty, his his loveliness. His loveliness. When you think of all that God has done for you and your life and where he's brought you from and that he's allowed you to grow up where he's allowed you to grow up with the freedoms that you have with a Bible that you have, many other languages, I was listening yesterday, there are multiple, multiple languages throughout India and other parts of the world that do not yet have the Bible in their heart language. But you and I have so many Bibles and have access to it on our, on our devices, wherever we want, we have it, and God in his loveliness has, has, has done that for us, he's given it to us in this day, but also he's given us a whole book full of his loveliness. And where we read through the Old Testament, we realize that he didn't just love one group of people, but he loved the whole world through that group of people, Israel. And some people say, well, he doesn't seem to be a very loving God in the Old Testament, but seems to be more loving in the New Testament. No, the whole Bible is a story of of God's love for human beings, for you and I, who are fallen and and, and were separated from God, and how he's bringing us back to him through his son, Jesus Christ. It's a story of loveliness. His beauty is glory. All that God is, wrapped up in one word that I find increasingly harder to even try to define. His glory. His amazing perfection. His beauty, his, his attractiveness. Yes, our God is attractive. Sometimes we don't make him attractive. The Bible tells us that in Philippians 1 and verse 27, that we can live a life that's unbecoming to the gospel of Jesus Christ and thereby make Jesus unattractive to those around us. But Jesus, when he is unveiled, is very attractive. And when our lives are lived like him, uh, it it causes people to be attracted to him. His beauty, his holiness, yes, his holiness is beautiful. We see in our world around us as so much sin is going on on the public stage of our lives. uh, we, We see how disturbing sin and deceit is. Aren't you thankful for a God who is absolutely holy? No doubts about his holiness. His beauty his extreme goodness, Zechariah 9, verse 17, for how great is his goodness and how great, how good is his beauty, his beauty. David says, I just want to get there and I want to to just pause and think about the beauty of Jesus, of God. He says that I want to inquire after it there. What's the idea of that? That David wanted to say in the presence of God, I want you to catch this. He really just wanted to be there, and be admiring the beauty of God, and as it were, as a saved sinner to a loving Father, say, tell me more about yourself. Tell me more. Tell me more. David wanted to be in the presence every day to be able to look upon him and say, tell me more. I want to know more about you. I I wanna understand your word. I don't want this just to be a a thing that I I do as a part of my Christian duties, but I want you to, in reality, tell me more. I I need to know more about you. That's the idea of inquire. Tell me more. I think of Mary as she sat at the feet of Jesus while her sister um, prepared the meal in the kitchen and though that caused some family disturbance, what, what Mary was doing was sitting at the feet of Jesus, who she knew well, but she was just listening to his words. Tell me more. Tell me more. And what did Jesus say? This is the thing that is needful. What is needful for you and I in 2020 as we go into this next holiday season as we finish out this year, one thing is needful for us to get into the presence of God, to be um, beholding His beauty and to be saying to our God, tell me more and to have a heart of an inquirer towards Jesus. Inquirers at Jesus' feet. Tell me more. The secret of David's confidence was in this communion with God. Why could he have confidence as enemies were waging war against him? Because he knew how important it was to commune with God. Tell me more. He said in Psalm 16, verse 11, "Thou wilt show me the path of life, and thy presence is what fullness of joy. I know when I can get into your presence, all the problems in the world around me, they subside. They don't necessarily go away, but they, the noise of them, Grows quiet. Uh, sometimes, uh, as I think about the new cars that have been, uh, have been uh, designed in these days, they, they go for a quiet ride. And there's some cars you get in and you shut the door, and it's just like, shh. You know, it just, it, it blocks all the road noise out. Uh, there's others, you know, as they, they get some age to get some wear on the, on the weather strips, and they let a lot of the wind noise and so on. Isn't that like our Christian lives? not just like our Christian lives. So often uh, there's, there's noise that we can hear from the outside, but in the presence of God it's quiet. We can hear him. Not all that. We can listen to his still small voice. If you've ever used a pair of Bose noise-canceling headphones, I had gotten one once as a, a travel perk, and, and I didn't like how big they were. They, they just like you know, walk around with these big headphones on, you know, whatever. So I, I, I ended up selling them off, but they had this ability to cancel out noise. And it's amazing when that noise cancellation is uh, on, how it just, it literally, you you kinda hear it, it plays a frequency and it causes all the rest of everything uh, going on around you to just dim, to leave. You don't hear it anymore. The presence of God is just like that. Oh, I wanna be in the presence of God where the things of Earth grow strangely dim and I wonder if you're in your heart this morning, do you long to be enjoying God like this? Isn't there something in your heart that says, God, would you make that true for me? Even if you don't understand all of it, would you make that true for me? Would you help me to live that type of life? And I want to make one, one very important point here. Enjoying God is not a bigger spiritual to-do list. Sometimes we we work well off of lists in our Christian lives. Enjoying God is not another chapter read, uh, read a day. It's not a bigger spiritual to-do list. It is a mindset where I get into the presence of God and I enjoy Him. Don't 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 reduce your Christianity or relationship with Jesus Christ to a do list. How many of you wives would really appreciate if if you found your husband's to-do list and on there was kiss my wife? Talk to her. 555, talk to her. You know what I'm saying? It just cheapens it. You need to talk 10 minutes to her today. You need to what, whatever you you fill in the to-do list item. <laughs> See, it, it, do, you, do you realize we do that sometimes with God? Listen to her for 15 minutes for three chapters as she you know as she gives her as she gives a, a record of the day. It, it would just so cheapen it if you found that you would be you would be hurt. Yet yeah, sometimes we do that with our God. Well, i got to do this much. i got to listen to him this much. And i got to pray to him this much. And i got to go to church this much. And i got to be spiritual this much. This isn't a to-do list. This is a relationship. Enjoying God is a relationship. So where does that lead? What David says in the next verse and the following verses that we're not going to get all into, but in verse number five, it leads to confident praise. And I want you to notice how that flows out of his admiration as he thinks of, oh, if I could just get there and see his beauty and choir, ask him to tell me more. But David remembers this. You know what? God is already good to me. God has already shown himself powerful in my life and he confidently boasts in God. In verse number five, for in the time of trouble he shall hide me in his pavilion in the secret of his tabernacle he shall hide me. He shall set me up upon a rock. He's going to give me surety. He's going to give me a standing in this world. He goes on in verse number six. He's going to say, I'm going to go into his presence and I'm going to say, I'm going to offer a offering or a sacrifice of joy back to him. He's going to praise him. He was praising him. David had experienced the protection of God in his life. He says this in in verse number five, in the secret of his tabernacle. What's that secret? It's the protective place of God's presence, the protective place within God's presence, where you have a sure standing in a world gone mad. I I need to be there. I need God to hide me in the secret place of his, his tabernacle. By the way, you will not have boldness and you will not have power in this day. You will not have courage to go forward in this day unless we're in the presence of God. David had experienced God's protection, this secret place. He experienced with the lion and the bear and Goliath and with Saul. in another context of trouble, David said this, Psalm 43 and verse number 4, Then will I go unto the altar of God, unto God my exceeding joy. Yea, upon the harp will I praise thee, O God my God. And he gave praise to God. Here in verse number five and following in in, in Psalm 27 and many other psalms in the scripture, he gave praise to God. Why? Because he enjoyed God. You talk about what you enjoy. We talk about what we enjoy. We praise what we enjoy. And David gave praise to God because he found joy in God. C.S. Lewis put it this way, we delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses but completes the enjoyment brings it full circle in our lives, and how important it is for us to realize that when our praise to God stops, it's a telltale mark that our enjoyment of God has stopped. When we can find nothing to praise God about, we have stopped enjoying God. That's convicting. You remember back to when you were dating, courting, or whatever you want to call it, getting to know the person you want to spend the rest of your life with. Do you remember back how you thought and you talked to others about them, how perfect they were, color their eyes, how they carried themselves? You think about that and how the, 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 the praise could go on and on and on and on. Why, why does a spouse, a future spouse, a, 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 a young man or a young woman, why do they do that? Why do they give praise towards their future spouse? Because they enjoy them. Now the struggle is, as marriage goes on, sometimes that ceases. Forgot to tell the wife, she's beautiful today, right? And we stopped enjoying because we got distracted. And so the praise and the words of affirmation stopped. And that's what happens in our lives. Many times we come into our relationship with Jesus and it's amazing, it just dumbfounds us that he would love a sinner like me. But as we go on and we kind of get used to the Christian life thing, we stop, we stop enjoying him and we stop praising him. You know, in a week of thanksgiving, we can look at it as a as a day, and I, I really honestly don't I don't believe that most of you look at Thanksgiving. Well, this is the day we give thanks, and none of the rest of the rest of the year. I, I know we're really on the same page about the idea that we should always be thankful to God. But have we lost the heart level praise towards our God on a daily basis? the the wonder of our God. Have we lost that? Are we skipping by things that He's done for us, that He's given us breath, that He has provided for our needs, but that He has also given us an inheritance? He's given us the same inheritance as the Son of God, Jesus Christ, in Christ like what Jesus has before the Father, we have. We're not beggars and paupers. You might not be a wealthy person here, but friends, you're wealthy in heaven. And have we lost the wonder of what, what God has done for us? Have we stopped praising Him and and? and thereby stopped enjoying our relationship with God. It's kind of a ho-hum, I can take it or leave it, I can go on, on my way, I can go through my week, I, I know I need to do my Sunday thing, I know I need to um, be in His Word, but I, I've lost the enjoyment of God. How do we get back to enjoying God? I'll give you another quote in a, in a final verse of Scripture. Lewis continuing that thought, Fully to enjoy is to glorify. In commanding us to glorify Him, God is inviting us to enjoy Him. Praising God is the same as enjoying Him. And as we enjoy Him, we draw near to Him. We draw near to Him. Friend, even if it feels awkward if you have to start moving stones of your life to find things to praise God about, praise Him. And allow yourself to draw near to your Father, your heart to be opened up towards the Father and to realize how incredibly good He is. And how do we get back to enjoying God? Really, exactly what David is saying. Hey, I just want to get back into your presence. And Jesus said this in John 15, verse 11. We'll look at this a little bit more tonight. John 15, He says this. He said that I've talked to you about abiding in my presence, abiding in me and I in you. I've talked to you about remaining in the presence of God for this one purpose. This one purpose, John 15, verse 11, these things have I spoken unto you that your, my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full. I have talked to you about abiding in my presence so that you could enjoy your relationship with me. That's what God has done. God does not want us to live our lives. He does not want us to live our lives subpar. He wants us to enjoy what he's given us. Friends, this ought to be the happiest place in the world. As we get together and start talking about the goodness of God and praising him in this place, this ought to be the happiest place in the world. So are you enjoying life really is not the question. If you enjoy God, you will. We will. What would happen if we go into this next week and go out into a world that's gone mad and go to our workplaces And it is evident that we're enjoying God. Can you imagine the change? Can you imagine the change in your soul? Friends, it's possible. David wasn't a superhuman. It's possible for you and me to live enjoying our God. And uh, I invite you in this way. Would you simply pray a prayer? Lord, I don't know what all of this means, but I'm asking you to help me to take, to take steps to grow in this matter of enjoying you. And it starts with praise and it starts in his presence. Lord, help me. Help this to be the reality of my life. I want it. Voice that to prayer in prayer to God this morning. Would you bow with me in prayer? Right now you have the opportunity to pray to God. Perhaps you're here and you're not certain of your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. You don't know that if you were to die that you'd spend eternity in heaven. And God wants you to know. He wants you to come into this relationship we've just talked to you about. But it it comes by faith as we recognize we're sinners and helpless before a holy God and deserving of a punishment in a place called hell. He says, if you'll come to me and you'll believe and what I did, you'll accept what I did for you in your place. I will receive you. I wonder this morning how many of you would say, Pastor, I know for certain that I have received the Lord Jesus Christ as my Savior. I do know that when I die, I will spend eternity with God because of what He has done for me, not because of myself, but because of what He has done for me at the cross. You say, Pastor, I do know that for certain. Would you give a testimony to God with an upraised hand? I do know for sure that I'm saved and I'm on my way to heaven very good. You say, pastor, I couldn't raise my hand to that, but I am concerned about that. I'm glad you're concerned about that. And I hope that you would, I hope that you would uh, have courage today, that God would help you to have courage to to, uh, get your questions answered about that. You say, pastor, I'm not for certain. I'm not for certain. I couldn't raise my hand to that. I'm not for certain, but I'd like you to pray for me. And I wouldn't do that in a in calling you out in any sort of way, but I'd like to know if God's working in your heart about that, if that's a concern to you. Would you just raise your hand? Pastor, I'm not for sure that I'm saved. I'm I'm not for sure that if I die, I'll spend eternity in heaven. Is there anyone like that here today? Just put your hand up and put it back down. No one looking around. I'm not for sure. Amen. I will pray for you. Christian, you say, Pastor God... God specifically did speak to my heart and I desire more than anything to have what David was talking about there to enjoy God and to enjoy my relationship with him. God did speak to me specifically about that. Is God working in your heart that way? Amen. I see that hand. Amen. Amen. Well, what a difference it'll make in our lives. Would you stand in prayer, um, prayer, Father, this morning as we take a moment to conclude this service with just acknowledging what you've done in our hearts. We pray that you would help us to step into this. Uh, Lord, that our our week, this week, that tomorrow, that the rest of this day would be different because of what you've taught us this morning. In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening today. For more information about Grace Baptist Church, please visit our website at gracebaptistofkettering.org. And remember, you are always welcome at Grace Baptist Church.